Thank you for coming here after lunch. If you had lunch. All right, I'm going to pray and then we'll have a little introduction to get started. Father, thank you that uh, we get to be here today in such an inspiring day. Thank you for this time of life uh, where we get to be and uh, bless us the things we talk about today and just uh, use these things in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. All right, my name is Larry Craig. I'll uh, in- introduce this all in a I just have to say that the little blurb about this class is a little misleading, putting the boom back in boomerism or something. <laughs> It seems like maybe it's about romance or something, which is awesome. We love that, but it's not really about that. It's really about uh, dealing with adult. I know. Oh, if you feel like you need to leave, oh, this is. We're really about dealing with adult children and our aging and aging parents and all those kinds of things. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, my name is Larry Craig, and this is my wife Mary Lou. Uh, we're in the ministry with the New York City Church. We live in New Jersey. Uh, and uh, I serve as one of the elders for the New York City Church. And this is Tommy and Connie Bean. Uh, they're part of the Central Jersey Church. Uh, Tommy's an elder there. And Connie is also the chief financial officer for the New York City Church. So, yeah, it works. So, uh, But we're excited to be able to do this. We, we've been friends for a long time. And we always say we knew each other for a long time before we realized that we got married on the same day. I don't mean the same anniversary, the same day. They in Tennessee and we in Chicago, uh, August 16th, 1969, and I know they've heard this, but you know, what we realized also is that we got married at 3 in the afternoon and they got married 7 at night, so we're ahead of them. <laughs> so they can come to us for help and advice because we got a little bit of time on them. Uh, as we talk about adult children first, we all have very adult children. Now, we've got a son that's been married 25 years. That's really bizarre. Uh, we've got a daughter married 20 years, another daughter married 17 years. They each have three children. So we have nine grandchildren. The oldest just graduated from high school. The youngest just graduated from kindergarten. Uh, they have four children and ten grandchildren. We're at a really wonderful stage in life of beginning to see our grandchildren become Christians. We've both seen some grandchildren uh, baptized, and that's exciting and awesome. And... Uh, you know, we're, we're just trying to learn. I, we all, I guess it's just true of life in general. We are, we are where we've never been before. And even when your children get married and they start having children, and they, you know, you, you just keep going to a place where you've never been before, uh, learning to be a, a parent of an adult child, learning to be a grandparent. Uh, we're not really talking about grandchildren too much. We would be glad to talk about them, but that's kind of a different class. But even learning there, I was thinking about that, you know, several years ago when our kids were small, uh, we were sitting around our dining room table with our daughters and their families. Our two daughters live very near us, one five minutes one direction, five minutes the other direction. Then our son and his family live in Los Angeles for many, many years. But, uh, you know, when our kids were growing up, we didn't, we tried not to have a bunch of rules, but... Uh, you didn't have to eat everything on your plate or anything, but the kind of the standard rule was to at least try something. Just try it. Take a bite. And we were at the table, and one of the grandchildren asked Mary Lou if she, if she had to try something, and Mary Lou said, well, not in my house. And our daughter sat up straight and said, who is this woman and where is my mother? <laughs> it changes when you're a grandparent. And, uh, uh, our one grandson turned eight on uh, Thursday, 
And yesterday I was talking to his brother, a couple years older, and I said, you know, you remember when Lucian was born? Remember I took you to Empire Diner? And he said, yeah, and you gave me ice cream that I wasn't supposed to have. I'm like, yeah. I, was, I forgot he was allergic to it, but I said, well, at least you didn't die. Amen. Uh, but, you know, as we think about this, there, there's a passage in Job, and it's in the middle of Job defending himself against some very uh, wrong perspectives and advice and he's talking about God having wisdom and so forth but he says in Job 12 12 is not wisdom found among the aged does not long life bring understanding hopefully as we continue to live and grow we do gain more understanding and uh, Mary Lou and I are going to talk a little bit about our relationship with adult children then uh, Connie and Tommy are going to talk a little bit about Aging ourselves and, and parents. Uh, many of us, we've all lost our parents in the last few years, but went through uh, nursing homes and challenges and those things that are uh, a part of life and our responsibilities too. So we're going to talk a minute about what our adult children need from us. You know this is a lifelong thing. If you have children, you know. They never stop being your children. You never stop worrying about them a little bit. You never stop praying about them. I, I said this never stops. The nine grandchildren, the, you know, now we just added a bunch of names every day for our prayers. What do our children need from us? And we're going to talk about some things, uh, both Mary Lou and I, together. And uh, kind of some general things and hopefully maybe some specifics that will help you a little bit. You know, our children need freedom. They need freedom. You know, God gives His children, us, free will, doesn't He? And we have to do the same thing with our adult children. You know, as children grow, they move from the dependence stage, sometimes to the very independent stage, and then hopefully kind of back to an interdependence stage, where... Uh, they're now autonomous individuals and they can live on their own, but they're still a part of a family, our family. And they're not entirely separated. And, uh, you know, this process healthily is called differentiation, but the idea of that you, you figure out this new place in life and, you know, hopefully they do grow up and not live with us forever. Amen. But uh, giving them freedom means trusting them to survive their own mistakes. When you think about it, it, you know, it can be very challenging to resist the urge to intervene. We feel that sometimes even as all of our children are in their 40s. Uh, Particularly if they are acting in a way that doesn't live up to our ideals, our preferences, our vision. We're we're very fortunate that our our children are disciples and they're married disciples and and all that. But we're we're a lot of places in here. Uh, Some of you became Christians Uh, after your children are grown or they haven't yet become Christians, trying to balance that, um, what we believe and feel and what they believe and feel. You know, uh, what are some common situations where we're tempted to intervene? Child rearing. Child rearing. Oh, my goodness. Not paying bills. Sir? Not paying bills. Not paying bills. (laughs) Different philosophy. Huh? Not leaving home. Not leaving home. Yes. Okay, relationships, yes, and so many, you know the child brain, again, I don't want to stop on this too much, but we're like, 
We didn't notice that our children don't do everything the way we did with their children. Like, wait a minute. What was wrong with the way you grew up? Now, we haven't said that, but they just have... Child rearing is really different today. In some good ways and maybe some not good ways. Uh, we've, tried, we've tried to have some boundaries that we don't step across and that they do have their own lives. And I do, I do want to say... There is an exception. Sometimes when your children or you may see a child doing something that is very destructive to them or to their spouse or children, uh, you may feel like in good conscience they have to speak up. But then I think those are situations you've got to get a lot of advice about so that we go about that in the best way. I just wanted to uh, mention a few examples of what Larry just talked about um, our children really do need freedom, but um, but know your individual child because some might desire more freedom than others. And uh, one of our daughters said that when she went off to college, she knew we were trying to to uh, let her navigate her own life, but she kind of felt all alone. So. Um, we kind of made a mistake there. So a healthy balance is really great. If you can find that balance between being too controlling and too hands-off. And it's different for each individual child. Some children might need more guidance and help with their thinking than others. So just know, know your child. And I wanted to tell you about a few other things that I've learned um, through the years. I learned a lot about giving our children freedom, especially after they be began to have children of their own. And um, our oldest child and his wife, we, they were kind of our guinea pigs, and so we've apologized many times <laughs> as we learned to just uh, let them parent in the way they wanted to parent. And I feel like at the time, I just I just assumed that my way was the right way, the Christian way. <laughs> and uh, so I had to learn that pediatricians these days give different advice than they did in my age. Um, and what worked with our children may not work with their children. And... Um, I learned to respect different approaches and styles of parenting, which were all grounded in biblical principles like love and discipline, but they were just different. So um, all that I, I had to learn. Another learning opportunity came um, when I was having a conversation on the phone with one of our daughters, and she was telling me about an incident with her youngest child. And she shared about the advice she'd gotten from a close friend. And so I took this to mean that she was open to input because her close friend had given her input. And um, so I readily shared my opinion. And suddenly she grew quiet and p politely ended the phone call. <laughs> so I realized I'd blown it in some way. And I called her back and uh, I said, apparently I, I crossed the line somewhere. And <clears throat> so we had a great discussion and she explained that advice from her friend was just input. 
But when it came from me, her mom, it sounded more like a correction or criticism, like she was letting, letting me down or disappointing me in some way. So that was a real eye-opener for me. I'm so glad she explained it to me. So I could see that, you know, our kids need, they just really, really need our support and, and our approval at every opportunity. I see it in all three families. And, and they sometimes need this, often need this, more than our advice or our solutions. So that's a big lesson. I do want to mention that there are times that I have spoken up, times when I feel a big mistake is about to be made or has been made, or that a, a harmful pattern seems to be developing. And then, at first I just blurted out my opinion because it was kind of, I, I think I was motivated more by fear than anything. But now I've learned to pray first making sure I'm being motivated by love. And I talk to Larry. And then I might say something like, as your mom who loves you very much, I really feel I need to speak up about something. And then, of course, it's understood that they, they're free then. They're, they are free to make the final decision about what they're going to do about what I said. But um, I think they've really appreciated that. You can see from all these examples that good communication and humility on our part are very key in um, really having the freedom, that are giving the freedom that our children need. One of our daughters said recently that she really appreciates how we do a lot of communicating in situations that could cause tension or misunderstanding. And she likes how we try to figure it out, figure out the best way to handle things together. So that, that was, um, I was very thankful that she feels that way and, and we look forward to just being able to discuss things in the future. So freedom, whether they are Christians yet or not, they, they are grown-ups. And that's kind of shocking sometimes. My kids are in their 40s. How did that happen? They're still, they're still my kids, but they're grown-ups. They need freedom. They need, secondly, our example. We're still an example for them. Our relationship has changed. It's much more friendship than parent-child. And really, we'll talk about that in a minute. But we are still, we're still the example of the next place in life. And I think particularly if you do have... Uh, adult children who aren't Christians, uh, they are still looking. They're still watching us. Just like they did when they were little. When sometimes they didn't know what they were seeing until they'd tell somebody else what they saw. Like, ooh, okay. But uh, we can, we always want to be a good influence in their lives. And uh, we have the opportunity to influence them still by our example. As they see our spirituality, as we go through uncharted territory, as they set out in uncharted territory, higher education, career, marriage, having their own children. You remember Paul said to the Corinthians, follow my example as I follow what? The example of Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We still want to model uh, Christianity, spirituality, 
They need to see our real life example of people who love God and His Word, even in challenging times as we go through health issues, as we go through uh, things that we didn't really think that we would face. How do we face those things? Uh, and that example, we, we know that example, is, it's powerful when they're young, it's still powerful. And uh, we are a few stages ahead of them. We want to be giving them an example of perseverance and growth and faith and love. And, and I think uh, we can't minimize still the importance of our example, even to our children who are very grown. We often think about back to our parents and how they handled different situations. Um, how they handled when we left home for the first time and how they, how, um, they handled things when we got married and when, then when we had kids and came to visit their house with our kids. And just thinking back about their great example helps us then um, to have patience and have unconditional love and uh, all those things that we just appreciate so much about them. Their sacrifice, it's so inspiring. And, and so we appreciate their example, and we want to be that for our kids. Even our, our own grown kids still mention their grandparents, and they refu- refer to their devotion to family, their unconditional love, um, their love for God. And uh, our kids also express their appreciation for our example. And uh, Brian recently, in a sermon referred to how much he appreciated our example through the years, not as perfect parents, of course, but as faithful parents who, who tried to put God first, <clears throat> who tried to be hospitable in whatever way we can't could and have people in our home and people who stayed with us for a while. That made a difference. Um, obvious efforts to grow and change. Sometimes we'd move to a new place in order to get the help we needed, and that made a difference. Um, and now we've seen these qualities in our kids, and that that makes us so happy. So Larry and I really hope to be great examples for our kids and our grandkids for the rest of our lives. It's such a very key need that they have. Oh, I'm doing yeah. the next one. Okay. Okay, the, so freedom, example, and friendship. Uh, I came across this little book years ago, and it really helped me. How to survive and thrive an empty nest. <laughs> it, it's not from a Christian uh, perspective, but it, it was helpful in a couple chapters, especially about grown children. By um, it's by Jeanette and Robert Lauer. But um, in this book, they it's their opinion that friendship is the core of a healthy relationship with adult children. Now we have the opportunity to share our lives together as friends. So um, that's what you want to be aiming for. Think about a close friendship that you have with somebody that's not your child. And that friendship, I'm sure, has certain characteristics. And so those qualities you want to have in a, in a friendship with your children, such as respect for each other, trust, keeping in touch, 
sharing feelings, thoughts, and dreams, being available to help, emotional support, and shared experiences. Aren't those all things that usually are part of a good friendship? And from our children's perspective, a friendship with us looks like this. We're enjoyable to be around. We're there for them when they need us. We're good listeners. We can feel good, they can feel good about themselves. They have no need to pretend to be someone they are not. They feel safe with us. We're supportive, not judgmental. We respect their differences. We don't pressure them to conform to our ideals. We value their opinions. We share what's going on with us. You know, one of our daughters said that she loved it when I shared some of the things that I'm going through or dealing with or working on to change. That meant a lot to her. And Larry and I frequently uh, exchange prayer requests with our adult children and with their spouses, too. We, We pray for each other. So that requires being vulnerable about what we need prayers for. So that's that's really a a wonderful thing. Very similarly, our children need love from us. I mean, that may seem obvious, but as we talk about uh, freedom and example and friendship, it really comes down to love. They still need to feel our love. And they never outgrow their need for expressions of love from us. I didn't grow up in a family where people said I love you to each other. I realized, though, how significant that that is. Even with our children. I I was thinking about it. My son is 47 years old, and I text him regularly, and I'll always end it, love you tons, T-O-N-S, in all caps. I think this is... I'm saying to this grown man, I love you tons. But it's what we've been saying his whole life, so I don't want to stop. (laughs) You know, They need to hear from us expressions of love and appreciation. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of ways we show that. Uh, They still need hugs and birthday presents and cards and and, uh, concern and prayers. Uh, Prayer is is, uh, just an underlying thing that uh, we do, I do pray for all of our children and their spouses and all nine grandchildren every day. And sometimes, back to the freedom thing, the more you know about their lives, like the two that live close to us, the more it's like, oh my. And sometimes like, well, all I can do is pray. I'm sure going to pray. But that really is, is part of love, verbalizing, I love you. They still need to hear that from dad and mom. And uh, this is a quote from this book, How to Survive and Thrive in Empty Nest. Your love gives your adult children a point of security and stability in a world that sometimes seems chaotic and unpredictable. Your love reminds them they're of value. Your love buffers them from the full, destructive impact of stressful life events. 
Your love imprints their beings with the warmth that they can carry with them throughout their lives. When our kids were growing up, we wanted our home to be an atmosphere of warmth and love. We still want that. We want them to feel that. And I think another, another thing that I've really noticed is how much our children feel loved as we love their children. As we pay attention to their children, as we take them, the ones that live close to us, special times and give them rides and keep them and so many things. And so often our children say, thank you. Now, we know it's a lot of fun, but I'm glad they don't get that. They just think we're doing them a big favor. But really, they're, they're, uh, we, we do love them by loving their children. As you think about these things, you know, sometimes there have to be some repairs. Uh, what I mean, meeting the needs of adult children, freedom, example, friendship, love goes a long way. Sometimes you have to repair things that have gotten off track. Sometimes if you raise children before you became a Christian, sometimes you look back and think, oh, well, I, w- I wish I'd done that. Sometimes it's good to talk about those things and to say, you know, I'm learning a lot at my age. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done this. And... Uh, you know, that means forgiveness. We make mistakes. Some, we've made mistakes. Sometimes we have to just uh, ask our children, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that. I, I, wish, I wish I'd done that differently. Or, or you look back, you th- you, do you see things you wish that I had done differently that I can apologize for? Sometimes our kids are, are you kidding me? No, no, no. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves as we realize, I wish I had done this or that and... And, all, you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And I think that's true in this relationship as well. And I, I think kind of a final thing about this is, is resolving hurts. You know, because we have a lot of history, it's awesome. We still have the potential to hurt each other sometimes. I appreciate when one of our sons-in-law came and said, you know, can I tell you about something? And something that I hadn't realized had made him feel a certain way. And it was hard for him to tell us. And I'm glad he did. Because we could fix it. And we could apologize and say, oh, okay. And we realized the sensitivity that we hadn't seen before. So acknowledging her. The same thing, I think, what Mary Lou said about a friendship. You know, hopefully as disciples, we learn how to have good friendships. How to resolve things that may happen with humility and with listening and with understanding and accepting somebody else's version because how they see it is how they see it even if I don't see it that way and the same thing is true with our children and forgiving them and uh, so much more we could say but I think these things uh, hopefully will help freedom uh, example uh, friendship love trying to resolve things and you know we just I I will uh, close before uh, we move to the next part with uh, the, the beans uh, our sons lived in California more than 25 years, so we've had a long-distance relationship as they've raised their children. Our younger daughters lived near us for 11 years, uh, 12 years almost, since their oldest, who's 13, was about six months old. So we've been very connected with that family. Our other daughter lived across the river from us in Long Island, about an hour, hour and a half away. So we saw them once a month, every six weeks. A year ago, next month, They picked up from Long Island and moved to New Jersey five minutes from us. That was a big move because she had been there since she was in the middle of college, 22 years in that ministry. 
her husband, she met, his, met him, invited him to church. He's from Istanbul, Turkey. He became a Christian. His whole Christian life was there in Long Island. I mean, they were very, very rooted there. And when we heard these little rumblings that they're thinking about moving, we're like, we had to go in the other room and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, okay, well, whatever you think, you know. I mean, we really freed him. We really had to stay out of it. And as, as an elder, they were really a part of, a significant part of that ministry there. But it's been so wonderful to have both daughters. They wanted to be near us. And they wanted the cousins to be together. And it is just so humbling and wonderful to have that. We're trying to create the family atmospheres that we just want to be together. Look, God may send us all in different directions. But while we can be together, it is so wonderful. And we realize more and more... We still have a significant role in our kids' lives. It seems a little more hands-off in some respects, and it should be, but it's really, really valuable. Amen. All right. Tommy Cotty. I'm Tommy, and this is Connie Bean. And, uh, you know, uh, just sitting here listening to Larry and and Mary Lou, uh, I learned something. Uh, I learned a lot, but uh, something specifically about uh, the way Larry talks. And uh, so, you know, coming from a, and I, I figured out why he didn't have the accent that I, that I have. And, and the reason for it, he grew up in the city. He grew up in Nashville, and Connie and I grew up in a little town in hearts of about 3,000 people. So that's the difference. Somebody every day says, you're not from New Jersey, are you? And I used to say, yeah, I'm from South Jersey, but nobody knows. But it's great for us to uh, be here with you, sharing with you. Man, this is a great, great audience here. Uh, Connie and I, uh, we actually got married. Uh, we, we, uh, Larry was telling when we got started. We got married on the same day that Larry and Mary Lou got married. Yeah. Uh, August the 16th, 1969. Yeah. But we've always looked at them uh, as as an older married couple. They got married at, at 3, 3 p.m. and we got married at 7 p.m. Yeah. So we've always sought advice from them. Yeah. They've been a great help to us. Uh, I, I want to share about our, our experience in the in long-term care business. My mother in, in 1956, she was a nurse, and, and there wasn't a, a nursing home in, in Hartsville, and she started a nursing home. They, She and my dad rented a wood-frame house and, and had some patients, and, and then we needed some more space, so they bought another house across the street from where we lived, and we moved all the patients in there, and then... And then uh, we moved across the street, and then we needed some more room, so we moved upstairs, all six of us, four kids and mom and dad. And uh, we had one bathroom. We had 16 people in, in this house. And one, one uh, no shower, just a tub, and, uh, and one kitchen. And, but it was great uh, experience for me growing up. And then, uh, of course, Connie and I, uh, she asked her to be my girlfriend when she was 12 and I was 13. <laughs> and so we'd not know much life outside of each other. And uh, so when we got out of college, she, she went to work for my dad, uh, who had actually joined my mother in the, in the long-term care business, and he had another one in, in Lebanon. But they really had uh, uh, the, the, 
probably one of the best, known as one of the best nursing homes in the state of Tennessee. My mother really, really uh, demanded the best care. And, uh, and so we've got a lot of experience. We, we know a good one from, from the bad one. Both our parents, uh, uh, both my parents, ended up in, in the nursing home, and we, we can share more about that. But uh, we, we've got a, a lot of experience. Uh, Connie, Connie worked for my dad for 20 years, and, and, and I, I, work, I, I was telling somebody I, I, I got out of school and came home, and, and uh, I started work, working with my, my mother. She was the administrator, and I, and I was the assistant administrator. And uh, so I felt, you know, I knew a lot. I've been educated, you know, and I grew up in this business, and, and so I wanted to be the boss. And so we had some butting heads and conflict, and she ended up, she said, I, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm going to retire. And I said, all right. And two weeks later, I called her. I said, Mom, I, I need some advice here. you got to help me. She said, do not call me. <laughs> Hung up the phone. She said, I'm retired. Let me, let me uh, give a scripture here. Ephesians, uh, the sixth chapter, verse 1 through 3. says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which with the, uh, is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life. You know, that scripture is in the, in the Old Testament at least twice, in the New Testament twice. Uh, God is very serious about us obeying that. And uh, uh, that's something that's very, very important, that we honor our father and mother. And we never get too old to do that. And in uh, Timothy, First uh, Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own household, has denied the faith and is worth it, worse than an unbeliever. Provide for their relatives. That's a broad statement, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So you'll have to figure that one out. Uh, but we've got responsibilities, uh, heavy responsibilities. One way of honoring our parents or the older generation is to protect their dignity. Dignity. Yeah. It's so critical, so important. Uh, they're not in their second childhood. We've all sort of uh, thought that was true at one time, but it really isn't. There's no such thing as a second childhood. We talk down to them as they were children. We have to really be careful about that. And uh, we must show proper respect to her parents. Leviticus 19, verse 3, each of you must respect his mother and father. And uh, Leviticus 19, 32 says, rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. Now, there's a there's a there's quite a shortage of that in our world today, isn't there? Yeah. And it's really sad. Uh, uh, that that we don't see more respect for for the elderly. It's uh, it's something that's missing in our environment now. Ephesians uh, the four thirty two says, "Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, as in Christ God forgave you." 
Have you completely forgiven your parents for the hurt that they caused you? I think all of us must look at that and and deal with that. Uh, some of us uh, didn't didn't have really good parents. Maybe maybe we were, we were raised by someone else other than our parents. But uh, a lot of times our parents made made a lot of mistakes. You know, most of our parents are not disciples. But consequently, they, because of that, they become more self-centered and demanding. Have you noticed that? We all do, don't we? Don't we have to deal with that as disciples? That we are, we're always inward a lot of times, or, or we're trying to deal with that and overcome it. Uh, and that's, that's, it's important how we handle that. And uh, so let me let Connie... Oh yeah, yeah. We've got some handouts here. We we've got a lot of resources. Uh, they're they're stacked here. We've got about fifty each, and uh, so first come first serve. I, I I had no idea we'd have this many people, but uh, there's some resources you can always contact us. Uh, we we've been in the business for a long time, and uh, so we 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 get asked uh, to give a lot of advice about how to. I take care of our, our, our parents. Both of our parents uh, have passed away, uh, and so there's there's a lot of other people though in our in our congregations that that need our advice, that need our help, and uh, so there, there's 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 one in there from uh, a guy that I work with, uh, Steve Nussbaum, is a, a he's an agent that he's a broker that sells long-term care health insurance. And he and I worked together for several years. I'm not in the business any longer. I'm, I'm, I'm retired. And I, I highly recommend that, by the way. Uh, but, but Steve, if, if you're, he, he's the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable person about long-term care health insurance. If you're interested in or you need some advice about that, uh, I'd recommend he, he and he's a man of uh, great integrity. He's honest. So, okay. All right. You know, let me just mention that during those 20 years that we were working with the nursing home, actually about 10 percent of people over age 65 ever were in a nursing home. Uh, now most of the statistics show that to be about 5 percent. So it's actually gone down. So 95% of us, we're not talking about aging in a nursing home, you know, though we may one day need assisted living or rehab or, or nursing homes, but we are going to age. So what I'm, my role is to talk about accepting aging. So, um, you know, we're constantly confronted with false concepts of aging, uh, especially in the media, on TV. You know, if you take um, a certain pill for your arthritis, you can dance the night away under the stars until midnight. And if you use a certain inhaler for your COPD, you not only can breathe, but you can run and play football with your grandchildren. It's amazing. You know, you'll hear on the news about a 92-year-old woman that finished a marathon, about a 90-year-old man that climbed a mountain, 
And do you know why they're in the news? Because they're very unique. You know, that's not the case for most of us. You know, but we all want to be Caleb. We want to be 85 years old and strong and vigorous and capturing the hill country and doing whatever God has called us to do. Uh, I've even heard a few friends, my friend Larry Craig, say that, (laughs) wanting to be that. But we want to be Caleb. But what about wanting to be Jacob? His eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. I think he was around 147. You know, or maybe we want to be Eli. He was 98 and he took a fall, broke his neck, and died. Uh, says he was old age and, and his old age and heavy at the time. And what about David when he was 70? I see 70s a more relatable age to most of us in this world. Okay. When he was 70, he was so cold they couldn't get enough blankets to put on him as he ailed. And they brought a young virgin in to lie with him, you know, to, to warm him up. And, you know, physically she probably warned him, but she warmed him, but she didn't arouse him. It says that he didn't have any intimacy with her. That was at age 70. So what about these other people in the Bible, you know, that, that aged uh, in accordance with God's plan? You know, uh, we can accept aging because we can accept anything that God has designed. Okay. And um, I want us to talk a little bit about Ecclesiastes 12. When I was in my uh, late 20s, probably maybe close to 30, in the nursing home industry, uh, I heard a woman speak one day um, in, a, you know, in a seminar class, and it wasn't a spiritual class at all, but she wanted to talk to us about what aging was like, and so she said she wanted to talk to us from Ecclesiastes 12. And I was a young disciple, and I, I perked up at that. Uh, what does Ecclesiastes 12 got to do with nursing homes? You know, what are we going to learn here? And, uh, but, you know, it's a passage that for a lot of years I read and I remembered what she said. I never forgot the things that she said. And, uh, but I didn't really go back there to study intently about my life, uh, you know, in the years in between. But in recent years, you know, I've begun to go back and think about this passage and also to share this passage with some of my sisters in the Lord who are beginning to say, why is this happening to me? You know, why do all of a sudden my calendar, all it is is doctor's appointments. You know, and... Uh, so I wanted us to kind of go through Ecclesiastes 12. And, and as we do, I'm going to kind of share my journey, uh, my journey in aging. Uh, because this is, this is from God. And he said, so remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I remember my mother telling me one day as she was struggling after a stroke, she said, you know, uh, there's just not much anymore that just is fun. There's just not much anymore that just brings me pleasure. You know, she wanted to go back to a store one day, just to go to a store. So I got her in the wheelchair and took her out. And we, we went, and she wanted to, you know, just ride through and look at purses and things that were, you know, that were there in the store. But when she left, when we left, she said, I don't think I'll do that again. You know, it just wasn't fun anymore like it used to be. I remember Tommy's dad, who'd been an avid golfer, uh, and Tommy, every, t- every chance that he got when we would go down to visit, he would take his dad out golfing. And, and eventually his dad couldn't do an 18-hole day, and then he'd do a 9-hole day, and, and then he'd ride the cart. you know. But I remember the point in time came when he said, I just don't get any pleasure out of that anymore. you know, Because he couldn't go out and, and play and have the strength and the vigor that he once had had. So it makes me relate to that verse. And then um, if we go on down to, to verse 2, it says... Um, 
Well, let, let's back up a little bit. When he says, I have no pleasure in them, and then he talks about us remembering the days of our youth before these days come. And then he said in, in verse 2, before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds disappear after the rain. Have you noticed how time flies? Yeah. yeah. You know? Uh, it's a, I mean, this is July. Tommy's trying to get me to go Christmas shopping. <laughs> Because he knows it's going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> and he's right, you know. Because the sun and the moon and the time is just, is just flying, you know. And in verse 3 he says, When those who keep watch over the house begin to tremble. You know, um, the keepers of the house are our arms and our legs. You know. And uh, my hands don't tremble much yet. I've not really dealt with that. But I want you to know that I stand here before you today because I have injections in my knees that have enabled me to stand here. Yeah. Those keepers of that part of the house are beginning to break down, you know, and give me some problems. I'm 69. I'm telling you that so that you can relate as I go through the things I'm talking about. Because some of you are so much younger than me. You'll never, never understand what I'm talking about. I just want you to remember it when you get there. Okay? <laughs> Okay, but it says when the keepers of the house began to tremble and tremble, and the virile man begins begins to stoop over, I am an inch shorter than I used to be. The first time I was five seven. The first time I went to the doctor's office and the nurse measured me at five six and a half. I said, Oh no no no, no, let's do it again. I'm five seven. She said, Okay, we'll do it again. She did it again. She said, You're five six and a half. I thought, Okay, I can live with that. I went home double checked her, of course. But then, um, but then it reached five six. That stayed there. I haven't settled anymore <laughs> than five six. But you know, our bodies begin to stoop. We begin to we begin to lose some of that height and that stature that we once had. Um, it says, and the grinders begin to cease because they grow few. Well, you know, in America today, we don't know much about it growing few because we have implants. Yeah. So I suspect there's some implants in this room. <laughs> <laughs> And so we have pretty smiles and we keep all of our teeth because they're not all ours. Uh, but they grow few. And then it says those who look through those who look through the windows grow dim. You know, there's vision begins to, to have a film, you know, or to grow dim. And you know, I'm fortunate today I don't wear glasses and I don't wear contact lenses. Because a year ago I had cataract surgery. <laughs> and when I did, I had a multifocal lens put in that straightened out my eyesight, and I just I see just fine now, better than I used to. But my vision had grown dim, and it had to be corrected. Um, it's a part of aging. You know, when you go with cataracts, do you know what they tell you? Well, it's aging. That's just it's just part of aging, <laughs> you know? and most everybody will have them. So. You can deal with yours, and I still have one, but it's not—it's not too bad yet. But uh, but you know that that our vision begins to go dim, and then it says, and the doors along the street are shut. How loud is your TV? Is it sitting on number twelve, or is it on twenty-six or thirty? Okay, the doors along the street are shut when the sound of the grinding grows low. You know. We have the difficulty in hearing it. And one is awakened by the sound of a bird. Do you remember when you used to sleep in as a, as a young adult, but you had to get up? And, but you could have slept till 10 o'clock, some, some of you till noon. You know? 
And, but no, you had to get up because you had to go to school or you had to go to work or the babies were crying or something. You had to get up. And now many of us are reaching an age that we may not have to get up every morning. But guess what? <laughs> we hear the first bird sound. <laughs> Because we wake up. It's hard to sleep in. But it says even the the songs grow faint. You know, I think about my own singing. Uh, I was once a strong alto. Today I'm a cracking alto. (laughs) And, uh, you know, at church I have to be careful about which thing is going to come out. Because there are days when the strong alto comes back. But there are more days when it kind of creaks and cracks and and doesn't quite hit the note that it was intended to. Uh, Their songs grow faint. And then it says, and they're afraid of heights. Have you noticed that? You know, I've noticed that I'm I'm more conscious. I'm more conscious about being on the edge of something. You know, I'm more aware of going up on something high. Uh, Not quite as secure as once was. And, And the danger's in the street. You know, I don't like to be on that dark street alone that I used to think I could tackle just fine. You know, I feel vulnerable in ways that I didn't, as a younger person, feel when I'm out on the street. The dangers in the street. The almond blossoms grow white. Anybody got any gray in here? You know, Tommy mentioned that his, uh, you know, his parents, his mother had Alzheimer's and. And one day his his dad came in, she was in her 80s, and she looked at him and she said, Fred, when did you get gray hair? And he looked at her and he said, well, Wilma, your hair is gray too. And she looked at me and she said, is my hair gray? It's really big eye. And uh, because the almond blossom goes white. But you know, when our memory goes back in time, we remember the one that didn't have white hair. You know, we remember ourselves as that other person. And um, some of us have it and it's glowing. Some of us have it and it's not showing. But most of us have it. Okay, So, so okay, whichever way we go. Um, it says, and the, and the grasshoppers drag, drag itself along. And then it says, uh, and the caper berry shrivels up. Or in the NIV it says, desire is no longer stirred. You know, we begin to see the, the, the sexual drive decline as well. And he says, because man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. And he says, remember, you can go back to remember your creator in the days of your youth before the silver cord is removed. Some believe that's the spinal cord. Before the golden bowl is broken, meaning that that's our head and our minds. This is, this is meanings that have been attached to it through the years. And the 